Welcome, everyone, to episode 40 of the Wi-Fi Pioneers podcast. We are your hosts, Colt and Remington. Say hi, Remy. Hey, what's up, guys? So it's been a couple of weeks. For that, I want to apologize. Um, you know, we try to get this out on a weekly uh, weekly basis, and we also try to keep it so it's not pegged too, too tightly to current events so that it's always relevant, even if you're listening weeks later. But that's no excuse for inconsistent uh, recordings and postings. It's just on the... IRL side of our life, the real world side, both of us have been hitting a lot of stuff in our business that is not our individual businesses, not related to this podcast. That's always going to take priority, unfortunately, and still up and coming versus, you know, a real world business with real life. Businesses. So uh, apologies that we kind of got overrun by the real world, but life's going good for us. So that's um, as much as I'll, I'll say on that. As you guys know, we don't want to dox ourselves in any way of one of our real businesses. Just know that uh, things are going well for us, and we're, we're happy for that. And he, again, apologize for, I think it's been three. Uh, we're going to jump into um, our first bit of topics. And the first thing we're going to get into is wages. A lot of social media posts, uh, mostly TikTok videos, but also you see this, this rear its head every, well, all the time now. Um, people complaining that they don't make enough money. And I want to jump into how wages are you know, kind of determined and breaking this idea, um, this, let's just call it what it is, this feminist idea of what you need is not what you deserve in your wages. Um, we are living in a world right now where low testosterone men and feminine, you know, hyper-feminist women can't differentiate between wants, needs, and reality. So they think, these people are thinking, well, I need X amount to cover my rent and buy food and this, that, and the other. Therefore, that's what I should be paid. And they take it a step further when they say, well, the CEO of my company makes $20 million a year. He can clearly afford to pay me more. And that's not how it works. That's not even remotely how it works because you need to generate money for your business. If you're making $20 an hour, you need to be making $40 to $60 an hour of, uh, for your uh, employer for them to justify paying you. If it's, let's start with the basic fact that employment is not charity. Employment is, is a trade between you and your employer. You're offering your, your hours and your labor to help them make money. In return, they're giving you some of that money back. But if you don't even make enough to cover your salary, let alone make profit for your employer to incentivize him to keep you around, him or her, sorry, then you don't deserve a job. Like you, you have to be worth the money you make, and you have to be worth more than the money you make. Because there's payroll taxes, there's um, insurances, there's the fact that your employer needs to make money himself from your work. So, in a strictly dollar and cents manner, you can never be paid what you generate. If you're making your employer fifty dollars an hour, you cannot receive fifty dollars an hour. They will be losing money paying you that. So if you're making them $50 an hour, they're going to pay you 20, maybe 25. Uh, the rule of thumb is that an employee needs to make triple what their, their wages are. But, you know, you, you can maybe get away with just double, but typically triple. You have to be adding some kind of value. If you're not doing that, you're not going to get paid. People just don't seem to understand this. Or maybe they just don't want to understand me first feminized world. Yeah, and it's only going to get worse because all of the best talent is leaving most of the companies. 
And so uh, that means that, that, you know, you have in any company, at least in the past, you'd have these employees who made 10 to 40 times what they got paid. Uh, that's what they made for the company. And so they kind of carried everybody else. But now all those people have really easy options to leave their company and start a new one, um, go out on their own in some way. And so uh, it's basically the whole thing's going to collapse. <laughs> like you're, if, if you're dealing with any big company or any medium-sized company right now, you already know how little talent there is at those companies and how few people are actually earning anything close to what they're paid. Uh, so you know the whole thing is just kind of, it's that Wiley Coyote moment where we've run out over the cliff <laughs> and we just haven't looked down yet. Yeah. And you know, when I said that, that you need to make triple your, your salary, that's at a small business level, right? That's if, you know, you're, if you're a tradesman and you're going to employ a HVAC guy or a mechanic or an electrician, right? You, he needs to, he or she needs to make triple what you're paying them per hour. When you get into these mega corporations who have hundreds and hundreds of employees, the math gets even more skewed because you have people who, by their design, can't make you money, but basically stop you from losing money. At best, your HR Karen stops lawsuits and sexual harassment lawsuits or, or EO complaints or whatever else. So your, your HR Karen doesn't generate you money, but stops you from hemorrhaging money in lawsuits. In a, if HR Karen is any good at, at, at her job. So that means that um, the actual salesperson, employee, the person who's doing a job that makes money has to make their salary and HR Karen's salary, right? All those those vampire type jobs who's, you know, compliance officer and all these other made up positions that are just there for government regulations and to keep lawyers off your back, they don't generate any money. So that means all the salary generating employees have to do that for themselves. So yeah, all of a sudden now it's no longer three X. You have to make five or 10 X your income just to pay for all the other people in the office. And look, I get it for the, for the Gen Z types who their, their argument, their initial complaint is, is valid, right? I don't make enough money. We are living in an inflationary time. Wages have been stagnant since the 1970s. A lot of reasons for that, right? Without going down that rabbit hole, but two major factors are the increase of, of illegal immigration over the last 50 years and the fact that overnight you've doubled the workforce by uh, releasing women into it. Not blaming women, just saying if you double the workforce overnight, you literally stagnate wages. And, and it's more than double because it's the flood of women who are stay at home, not working, and the flood of illegal immigration. Um, totally displacing the low, the low wage market as well. Like it, it's very complicated topics. That, that's, a, that's very much a TLDR. But wages have been stagnant for 50 years now. That's a problem. That does not change the fact, though, that if you are not generating a high amount of income for your employer, you cannot get a high amount of income in return. That $100,000 a year you want, just because you have $80,000 in um student loan debt and you you know your apartment your studio apartment in the city costs three grand a month and all this other shit like yeah all those all those things are bad college shouldn't cost that much it's not worth it your studio apartment shouldn't cost that much all these things are true however they do cost that much so the fact that you and i agree that it shouldn't cost that is irrelevant because it does and you may need a hundred thousand dollars a year to pay for all this but your bullshit degree and the job you hold do not generate that kind of income. So you can't get paid it. Your job is not a charity. Your job has to make money in some way. So 
they're stuck in this, like, yeah, you have legitimate complaints, but your solution of just demanding higher wages without you contributing more does not work in the real world. There is a certain physics to the economy, and that is against the laws of physics. And again, yeah. I'm, I'm going to, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, I can't wait for physics to get reintroduced to economics. <laughs> now, you mentioned, you know, the, the outflow of the people who are, who are making 10 to 40 times their income for their employer. They all left. A good percentage of Gen Z has figured this out, okay? Gen Z is the most entrepreneurial generation in our lifetime, you know, more so than, than the millennials, the Xers, and, and the boomers ever were. So some of Gen Z has it figured out. They looked at the corporate world, they looked at the wages, and they said, I can do better on my own. You know, you're going to pay me 50 grand a year. I can generate 200 grand a year doing this, you know, freelance, doing my own thing, starting my own business. They're doing it. So a lot of Gen Z has figured has it figured out. And to them, I've, I've got the utmost respect and admiration for them. I wish I'd figured that out when I was that young. Um, I would be so much further ahead than where I am. It took me into my 30s to defy my entrepreneurial spirit. But for the ones who aren't starting their own businesses, who aren't striking out on their own and are just complaining, it's like, well, again, it comes down to who's doing the complaining. Low testosterone men and feminist women, which are the same thing, effectively. Because they do not have the, the ability to take responsibility for their actions and to look at the world as it is. They only look at the world as the way they want it to be, declare that what they want is as it should be, and declare that what they need is what they deserve. That's just not how the world works. And that, that you see that not just with Gen Z, but very much with millennials and all the way through to boomers, too. You see that with, with a lot of Xers and boomers, too. That's just very much a human thing of not understanding that what you want is not how the world it's just a hard lesson for these guys. Oh, it's going to get even worse too, because it turns out a lot of the jobs, a lot of the lazy girl jobs that, that these girls had that was, were paying so well were purely because of the money printing cycle, getting funneled into VC tech jobs in, uh, in Silicon Valley. So you'd have all these product managers who worked, you know, one hour a day by the pool, kind of, and mostly just interfered with the software development cycle. <laughs> and they're make you know, they're making 120 grand a year. And so that's what they've come to expect is like a reasonable job, right? If you're going to work for a big company or you work for a, a tech company, this is what you get. This is the trade. Uh, it turns out that was all fake. That was all fake. And a lot of times those jobs only existed because these tech companies were scaling rapidly. They had they were flush with cash from all this VC investment. They were flush. You know, VCs were flush with cash because the Fed's printing money. And there's this, this like uh, turbo boost to get to public uh, markets so that, you know, you, you, you go public and then you sell your company for multi-billions of dollars and it never actually turns a profit. That was the whole thing. And, and we just exited basically the, the greatest money printing cycle in the history, at least of the U.S. And so all these jobs, it turns out, were fake. A lot of the stuff that we use every day, it turns out, was never actually economically viable. A lot of those companies, they were only sustained by VC funding that was just hoping that they could get to a rapid exit and go public when the markets were just desperate for any kind of security to buy. So you can see where all of the foundation is just falling out from underneath this, and you're getting the real-time realization by all these, all these people, all these you know Gen Z, uh, even millennials who are realizing that their job wasn't real; it was fake. They didn't actually add any value, uh, and uh, and they were only hired because these companies were scaling so rapidly that they perceived there to be a. a, a a scarcity of suitable employees 
So they would advance hire all these employees, even though they could only use them for an hour a day. Uh, and even then, who knows if they were actually worth anything, right? Like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's a classic Remy rant to, to bash on SaaS companies and the software development cycle and how ridiculous it is. But uh, it, I, you're just seeing physics reintroduced to economics. That's that's the long short of it. You know, and that's hindsight, of course, is 2020. And we weren't, um, we weren't doing this podcast five years ago, clearly. We've only been doing it for a year. But you should have been able to look at these these billion-dollar companies, you know, allegedly billion-dollar companies whose stocks keep going up, 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 and every single quarter they only post losses. Like, that should have been a clue that there was something not correct here. And, I mean, it was a number of companies that just never turned a profit. And not in the way that, like, Amazon's kind of scam, running a scam. Not a scam, but very good at not paying federal taxes. Um, it's just a lot of these things. You know, how did Uber post loss quarter after quarter after quarter and still be worth billions of dollars? How did uh, Netflix do it? How did all these, um, you know, I don't have the list in front of me, but there's a lot of them who are doing this. And like that should have been a clue. You know, just like um, back in the 2008 uh, housing crisis thing for from 2005 to 2008, you should have been looking going, how can you close on a house and, you know, a month later, it's worth $30,000 more than you closed on it. Like, how, that, that can't be sustainable for houses to go up in value that fast. And then, of course, the market crashes. Everybody's like, well, yeah, clearly it wasn't sustainable. Okay, well, the same people who are saying buy the houses were also the ones who this go around are saying, hey, buy these tech stocks. They can only go up. Um, this is going to blow people's mind, but houses should be declining in value if you just look at the house, the value of the house. The land will increase in value. Although it shouldn't increase that much, it's mostly increasing because of inflation. But house price should go down in value over time. <laughs> uh, it, you know, how often do you buy a car and it goes up in price? Right? Um, it's it's the same thing. And you might say, well, a house lasts longer than a car. It does, yeah. But they're both durable goods, and they should both go down over time. They become less usable over time. You have to renovate a house. You got to uh, upgrade it. You have to fix a whole bunch of, especially these days, houses, like a lot of these houses go up and you're like, man, that thing's not going to make it 25 years. But um, uh, I was just going to say that when you were talking about, you know, these companies that are selling for billion dollar valuations, these things are all tied together. When you have really low interest rates, if you're a big company and you suck and you can't create value and you can't grow your business, the only thing you can do is acquire other companies that are, are building revenue. And so it incentivizes all of these pump and dub SaaS companies uh, and direct to consumer companies to start scale revenue. And then the big companies go, oh, wow, that's a juicy acquisition target. Let's buy it. And the, the cost of capital for that big company is like 3%. So, so it's a pretty easy, it's a pretty easy thing to justify at the executive level. Oh, well, we only have to pay 3% capital for this company. Let's buy it and see what happens. And it turns out that hardly any of this, hardly any of this is legitimate real business value. It's just artificially cheap capital. It's huge corporate uh, uh, bureaucracy and um, and stupidity and uh, and utter failure and cannibalizing their brands. Um, and then there's this other solution, which is, oh gosh, we had this this company scaled revenue and they're a unicorn and and they've got all these customers and so we'll buy them and we'll get all that revenue. Well, it turns out those companies never turn a profit. So you have to have, find some way of tacking that company onto your corporate structure and hoping that there's some sort of synergistic value from, from what they bring to your overall operation almost never works out, almost never works out. So again, 
think we're in this late cycle where all of these things that we thought were normal are actually fake. And as we're poking them, your finger goes straight through them and you're like, oh, crap, this, this can't be good. And people are seeing it everywhere, right? And so when you, when you have these you know, lazy girl jobs who are bragging about how little work they do, and then you know, this girl on this video a few days ago is like losing her mind because she can't pay her bills and she can't actually get a decent job. These are all related and it's all just, you know, gravity will win in the end. You may, you may defy it for a little bit of time, but gravity will win in the end. Yeah, it just, a lot of people are coming to the realization that their, their uh, degrees are useless. What's worse than that is that the degrees that still are worth something, like in engineering uh, and STEM degrees, they're being eroded down by the Marxists and the Wokesists now because, you know, before you can do a basic math class or an engineering class, you have to learn the history of racism inside of engineering and why, you know, the reason that you don't have enough black engineers is because of evil white racism, not hiring them or whatever other bullshit. So you're going to have engineers that don't know engineering and they're, they're going to be hitting, if they're not already hitting the workforce, they're going to be hitting it very soon, you know, within the next couple of years. And that's going to have a, a huge impact too, because uh, we've got a huge brain drain coming in this country, or we're already in the middle of the brain drain, but it, it's kind of two main factors. There's a bunch of sub-factors, but two main things is what I just described. The university is no longer teaching the basics of what your uh, engineering or, or STEM fields are, but also that the boomers did not teach their replacements. They were so hell-bent on being the most important person in their company that they never trained anybody if they trained somebody to replace them, then they became replaceable. So they know that they just never did it. So now as boomers retire, all their subordinates don't know how to do the job. And that knowledge is lost just because you've got a bunch of textbooks that say, you know, here's the formulas, here's how you do it. It's not the same thing. So now you have, we're going to have a whole generation of engineers that are going to come up uh, probably in the next 10 to 20 years and have to self teach everything. Um, have you ever, have you heard people say how, We've lost the technology to go back to the moon. We couldn't do it today. And they think it's some grand conspiracy theory. Have you heard that? Yeah. And I mean, I've definitely seen a lot of what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So, and it, it's not a conspiracy. It's just the intersection of a couple things. One is that, um, you know, back in the 60s when they did the moon missions, NASA did not have to deal with uh, OSHA and the other um, EPA and the safety nonsense that we have going on today. So, you know, we could not possibly approve the materials they used in the 60s to go use today. Now, you'd think 50 years later, we should obviously have better technology, and we do. The issue is you have so many people, bureaucracy and government, who have a say in things that you can't get past the approval process. You, you'll, you'll never put a man on the moon with all the red tape we have. Then the loss of technology isn't, it's not the loss of technology. It's the loss of the skills needed to build said technology. And to build it to today's safety standards. Because you've had a uh, just a watering down of the quality of engineers over the last 50 years. And I keep going back to engineers, but this goes to all STEM-based uh, careers. But there's been a watering down of them to such a degree that there's no there's no seniority in these, these jobs and these fields to teach the newcomers. So they're not taught, the new guys aren't taught, and then they're left alone as everybody above them retires. And they have to self-teach what the past generations already knew. And that's not that's not good. You know, if I just hand you a book on carpentry, can you build a house? No. 
No, there's actual skill sets that's needed. Now, given an unlimited budget and unlimited lumber and nails and, and tools, if I give you a book on how to build a house, eventually you'll get it right. You know, trial and error, you'll get there. Well, now we have to go through the whole trial and error of science and engineering because all the competent people have retired and the universities don't teach the level of competency needed to, you know, to, to carry on that competency. So, yeah, we're going to have a very sharp learning curve. Coming. What are the, what are the skill sets that universities uh, should be teaching? I mean, like what, what belongs in the university? Like what, what professions require a university training? You know, that's a really hard question to answer in 2020 because I'm not sure there's anything happening in the universities that you can't do on the job with uh, a YouTube back uh, backup. Like, if you have the mathematical aptitude, I don't see why um, one of our big engineering companies, Raytheon or uh, Northrop Grumman, Grumman uh, Boeing, any of these, couldn't just have a, well, they're not allowed to do IQ tests anymore. They're not legally allowed. That's actually, I think, tied to the university system. But there's no reason in, in, in the real world, forget the legalities, that they can't hand an applicant a IQ test. They t- pass and they go, hey, this guy's got the IQ to be one of our engineers. And then bring him in and self-teach and just, you know, he gets two hours a day of, of academic lesson and six hours a day of on-the-job training on how to build whatever it is the hell it is they're building. Uh, same thing with doctors. I don't know why you need eight years of medical school other than that's the way we've always done it. Why can't the local hospital give aptitude tests and IQ tests to potential client, uh, potential nurses and doctors and train them on the job? Yeah, there's liabilities. There's, there's, you know, the lawyers are foaming at the mouth at the idea. Go, oh, God, we could sue everybody if we did this. Put all that aside and just talk about the actual skill set. We've got it bashed into our heads that for these high-end technical skills, doctors and engineers and and, and whatnot, that you need the um, that you need the university background. I'm not convinced of that. I'm not convinced of that at all. I don't know why you couldn't give a 16-year-old an IQ test and then just start teaching him on the job with, all right, here's the math you need to build this missile. Here's the math you need to build this generator. Here's the math you need, and teach them the math, and then have him on the job. If they've got the IQ, they've got the IQ. Like, um, the reason why Harvard graduates are so um, successful isn't Harvard. It's that the IQ, the standards to get into Harvard determine your level of success. Meaning, if you send Remy Jr. to apply to Harvard, and he gets accepted, and you can't foot the bill, that doesn't matter. His acceptance is the guarantee that he's going to make it in life because he's got the, the intelligence. He'll be successful. You don't have to actually send him to Harvard. You just need him to be accepted to validate that he's got the skill. And, and for all the talk about, well, you make all these connections at Harvard, yeah, yeah, that's not really it. Not for the people who get in there. It's the aptitudes. I really don't know what you need universities for at this point. So if you think just historically, what were the... What were the skills that people needed to get from a university setting or, or you know, that kind of analog back in the day? So think about the classical period, you know, like Aristotle and Plato and such. It seemed like most of what they were learning in that kind of environment was physics and or not physics, like civics and, and uh, philosophy. But it seemed like everything else where you're interacting with the real world in some way, you learn by doing and you learn by working under somebody else who's a master. All the way back then, we were talking about Plato and arguing philosophy up until, I don't know when the, the university systems got corrupted. You can make an argument that they got corrupted in the 1800s, but definitely now they're very corrupted. 
but people are taught to think. Modern education, especially the high school system and then now the college system, doesn't teach people to think. It teaches them to be obedient and to regurgitate information that's fed to them by a professor or a textbook. To, you know, sit down, be quiet, do as you're told, make the teacher happy. Don't make waves. That's You're making obedient factory workers. And I used to think that was a ridiculous conspiracy theory, but you kind of look at what the Rockefellers were aiming for uh, back in the early 1900s and how the school system got made, and you're like, man, this just lines up. If, if it's not a conspiracy, it's a hell of a coincidence, but it just lines up now. And, I mean, we saw that during COVID is, you know, the people who were most willing to just blindly obey have more education until you get to the very top of the education, right? The, the people, the bell curve of not doing the masking and the, the mandates and the vaccines and all that for COVID and not obeying was the people with really low education and IQ and the people with really high education and IQ. Everybody in the middle, you know, the university types and, and you know, college degree types are like blindly obey. That's what I was taught to do my whole life. Um, you know, just do as you're told. And you still hear, you'll hear Karen talk about that now, like, oh, this guy, he, he doesn't have a sense of taste right now for the last year because he didn't do what he was supposed to do during COVID. Like, what do you mean supposed to do? The fuck are you talking about? And people that are proud of themselves for their obedience, I don't see that mentality amongst people who don't have a college education. I almost always see it. Not, not, not all people with college educations, but the people who are proud of being obedient, almost all of them have a college education. Like, how often in history did people need college? Going back hundreds of years, how often did they need college in order to be successful in life? Is it purely an industrial revolution thing where we needed kind of like mindless, you know, line workers? Uh, I mean, you go all the way back to the boomer generation, to the 70s, you didn't need a college education, right? You you didn't need it. Uh, Okay, so beyond the 1900s, everything gets really screwy because people live on like, what do they say, a dollar a day in today's dollar. Um, you had like extreme poverty and extreme wealth. There was no middle class. The, the middle class was a 19th or 20th century creation, right? The middle class came out of the 1900s and post-World War II. There's little bits of, of kind of an indication of middle class here and there throughout history, but for the most part, people were really poor or really rich, and the really rich sent their kids to college, so it's not like it, it's a chicken and the egg thing, right? Everybody who went to college came from a wealthy family, and, and I shouldn't just say college as we understand it today. People who got educated came from wealthy families who could afford the education, and therefore they had money and education to continue making money and sitting and educating their kids. There was no path of any kind from the poor into, there was no middle class. You either went from being poor to being really rich. And like there, there's some nuance to that. You're talking thousands of years across the whole globe. But for the most part, it's hard to say if it was the education or family money that kept you going. Coming into the 1900s, post-World War II, we had this launch of the middle class that, that lasted up until, um, I don't know, pretty much now, uh, where without a college education, you could, as long as you were intelligent and worked hard, you could just work and make up for the lack of college degree through hard work and or more, and or more hours. Right? So, you know, the boomers thrived without and college was so cheap that the ones who did go to it could pay as they went. They didn't have to take out student loans. Now that whole system has been grenaded over the last 50 years because college costs way more than it should. You know, 
right now, a college degree shouldn't cost you more than ten grand for your average degree. Instead, it's costing you closer to a hundred grand. There is no reason for that. You're not going to be able to get by in today's economy without the degree because we haven't transitioned away. I know I'm kind of all over the place. Too many corporations and government jobs still require the degree to get you through the door, but the degree doesn't do anything for you to make you better at that job. So it's a gatekeeper. The we're in the transition period now because a lot of the people are getting the degree and they can't get hired because they don't have the experience. And there's more and more companies that are now starting to look at experience and, they, and they're hiring based off of experience, not degree. So we're transitioning away from that, but we're still in this middle ground where college degree is still a barrier to entry for a lot of fields, but it's also dead weight coming in. Uh, it's being used against you, right? So a lot of employers will look at two candidates who neither of them have experience. One has a degree, one doesn't. They go, well, the one who doesn't has less baggage and less debt. So I can work with him a lot better than the one. So they're getting hit on both ends. Yeah, big companies actually, I've definitely seen where they like, they like you having all these obligations because they own you. They know you can't take the risk of going out and starting your own company. Yeah, there's definitely an element to that as well. Um, especially like, you see a lot of advice that says, don't tell your boss you just had a kid. Don't tell them you just bought a house because they know they can dump more on you. And I don't, I don't know how much of that's deliberate and how much of that is just kind of feeds into itself that you know you can't quit versus your manager knowing you can't quit. So I, it definitely happens, right? There's definitely times where they, they, managers will exploit you for that. But there's also some managers that, are just, managers that are just so wrapped up in themselves. They don't even notice. When you say, I just had a kid, they, they barely even know your name. They're so wrapped up in themselves that those are all self-imposed chains that you're putting on, you know, that you're, you're facing, making you a slave to your company. So it kind of works both directions. There's, there's definitely a nefarious element to it amongst the managerial class, but sometimes they're just not paying enough attention to you to even be able to exploit you that easily. Um, sometimes it's just self. Can you imagine what's going to happen when you have all of the talent brain drain leave all these companies because they're just so sick of the bullshit? Uh, and they can make way better money elsewhere. And then all you're left with at these companies are woke-tards or people brainwashed by college or just the, the fraction of the population that can't stand making their own decisions and literally have to be micromanaged every step of the way. Well, we're, we're living it now. We're living that transition. It's uh, little by little and then all at once. So if you like look at the hospital system right now, for as much as everybody complains about medical costing so much and it should be it should be free and government pay for this, that, and the other. The amount of hospitals that are hemorrhaging money, you know, across state to state, it's anywhere from, you know, 15 to 50% of hospitals that are just hemorrhaging money. Why are they hemorrhaging money? If everything medically costs so much and medical needs are going up so much, how are the hospitals losing money? And it's because they are losing the competent people. They have incompetent CEOs. They have incompetent doctors. They have incompetent billing managers whatever else, uh, whatever their accountants are. Now there's several different names. Basically, all the people that manage the flow of money are in it, and they can't get replacements for them. So now you're seeing hospitals hemorrhage. You're seeing schools. How are schools hemorrhaging money when it's just tax money coming in endlessly and the taxes go up every freaking year? How are you hemorrhaging so much money? Well, how many superintendents do you need in a district? How many principals do you need per school? How many vice principals? You should have one principal, one vice principal, and a superintendent who's over top of, you know, the entire district of schools. And instead, you just have multiples of these guys, and then you have no teachers. And the teachers you have are making pennies. 
and they have to go through the most bizarre accreditation processes for those pennies. So is any wonder that only socialists stay there because a capitalist isn't going to go through all that. And I mean, just pick your every industry is going through this now. So the collapse, we're, we're in the collapse. We're in the avalanche. We're, we're living it. We're seeing it as a slow degradation of every one of these services. And, and when it finally does collapse, we're going to look back and go, oh, yeah, that, that was what we called the 2020s. Uh, is there a term for this? Do we have a term? Is it like the Karenization of everything? You know, we don't yet. But we do, we need one. I don't know if the, the Karenization is right, because Karenism is not as, as much about competency, right? Karenism intersects with incompetency, but it's more about, Karenism is more about entitlement. So it's just another effect of the competency crisis. Maybe the competency avalanche? I'll have to think on that one. I mean, I, I can draw a straight line between all of these Karens getting into positions of power and then all of these terrible decisions being made <laughs> and all of these, you know, fake jobs being created. That, no, no, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, no, I guess it's not as inter- or it's not as parallel as I thought. It really is more, more direct. It's just it's like the the immediate, not the second order effect, but the immediate effect of Karen getting to have her say. Do you think anything, any of this, has anything to do with the Nineteenth Amendment? Um, yes, yeah. Um, trying to trying to phrase this in a way that's not so. It, it's a. Uh, it's just a downhill effect of it, right? You give people their opinion and their say, you're going to get the voting. What you get from them voting is going to be a result of their belief systems. You know, there is a direct line between the 19th Amendment and Marxism, the rise of Marxism in this country, and the shift of the Democrat Party being more uh, socialist, right? And, and I know, yeah, lots of people overuse the term Marxist, socialist, communist, whatever. Um, but the Democrats. The Democrat Party has shifted very far left, and they've dragged they've dragged the, the Republican Party with them a bit. Again, without getting into two party system too much, the Democrat Party as it stands today would not exist if there were no female voters. The male voters are all low testosterone, all like almost all of them. And, and what I mean by that is when they have study after study, when they give low testosterone men uh, who vote Democrat testosterone injections and bring them up to a healthy level almost all of them start voting Republican. So there's definitely a, a testosterone hormonal thing, uh, male and female alike, there's a hormonal thing to voting patterns. And the Democrat Party is the party of single women. And low testosterone men are indistinguishable from single women. Actually, they're a little worse. Uh, single women are at least a little bit more reasonable than low testosterone men, or at least they're less disgusting. Um, but, again, it stands that the Democrat Party is the party of unmarried women or unmarriable women. If women did not have a right to vote, the Democrat Party as it is today would not exist. I mean, it would be almost completely wiped out. Um, and and when, I, when I say women, I also I mean by that also um, it, it, it would just be completely wiped out. So that there's got to be something there that tells you that um, the 19th should... God, the 19th should be revised. Shouldn't that, well, maybe that should be. If you want to get rid of the socialist direction this country is going in, then the 19th Amendment would need to be revised in such a manner that uh, unmarriable women and low testosterone men are not allowed to vote. <laughs> it's funny. I, even just five years ago, if you were to say something about the 19th Amendment, you know, you'd be ostracized and, and uh, ruined, right? But now you see people talking about it all over the place. Um, so let me give you two examples. How weird would it be? How weird would it be if you had a company 
And the way decisions were made at that company was everybody had an equal vote uh, all the way down to the, you know, the bottom line workers. Everybody had an equal vote and that's how you made every decision. How, how weird would that be? And then secondly, um, if you had a family and let's say there's a dad and a mom and four kids aged, I don't know, one, three, five, and eight, and they made every decision, everybody got a single vote. And then that's, that's how they decided what to do. So, um, I think his name is Nick Freitas, Freitas. Um, he's got a TikTok channel. He puts out short videos constantly and does some podcasts and stuff. And he put out a video going, when people in government say, listen to the children, he goes, listen to the children. You know, if you let children spend your money, it's going to be all of it will be spent on Oreos and Peppa Pig swag. So don't listen to the children. And he sticks up. Well, you know, maybe that's better than what Congress would do. So maybe we should listen to the children. But again, what's his point? You always see this. You see the leftists. They, I mean, they prayed around uh, Greta Thunberg, who's now an adult, but they still dress her like a, a little teenager. They want her to look like a little girl. They every school shooting, they they prayed out the the teenagers. You know, they got that that scrawny kid David Hogg, and there was another one before him. Uh, but they always like to bring out these children, and like, who the fuck listens to children, especially teenagers? say who when was the last time a teenager made an argument where you're like you know kid i should stop what i'm doing and listen to you like no no but what do low testosterone men and hormone uh unmarriable women have in common they're extremely hormonal what do teenagers have in common they're extremely hormonal (laughs) no wonder they they align themselves more with teenagers and children than they do with competent adults competent adults have their hormones in check. They have healthy levels of, of men have healthy levels of testosterone. Women have healthy levels of the multitude of hormones they have to deal with, and they're balanced and can can move through. Right? Like, why is it about a third of women are uh, voting conservative and almost all of them are married? It's because they they can keep their emotions in line, right? They know how to balance the the, the dragon that comes around every month. They know how to handle the influx of emotions. They stay healthy so that they're they're regulated um their cycles on a uh, regular basis uh, on and on right but they're mentally and emotionally stable so therefore when they vote they vote based on a more uh a less emotional gimme 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 uh stage and they're voting i don't want to say that voting republican is logical because there's a lot of dirtbags in the republican party but they're certainly not voting for the handouts and you know think of the children bullshit uh, along those lines, is there a way to restrict boomers' ability to vote? I mean, COVID was supposed to do that. COVID was supposed to be the boomer solution. Uh, and I'm still pissed about that because they promised us it was the boomer remover. It wasn't. And all, all we can do now is, is time, right? Now, the good news on this is boomers are so dedicated to their own self-destruction that uh, within the next 10 years, most of them will be gone. They are regressing to such an extent that they want to, they're, they're all going back to the 70s uh, and drinking and smoking pot all the freaking time. It's all they do now. Not all of them, but my parents, they've regressed completely to the 70s and they go with all their boomer friends every weekend, get drunk, get high. You know, you can't, when you're in your six, late 60s, 70s, late 70s, you can't make lifestyle. It's going it, to, it'll be self-correcting. Um, my in-laws, God, they're great. They actually eat healthy, exercise, hunt, fish, scuba dive. Like they're doing what they're what they're doing what you're supposed to be doing. My family, yeah, they're they're a disaster. Um, 
but they're just going back to the 70s, and that's going to take care of, of the most dangerous of the boomers, is they're going to self-remove. Um, but as far as, like, the voting thing, you don't have to repeal the 19th Amendment. I have a much simpler solution to that. Not, you know, if I'm king for a day, right? Not that it, there's any chance of this happening, but it's real simple. For you to cast a vote, you just have to own property. You have to, or a business, right? You don't have to own physical property. You have to either be a business owner, own property, and be married. That's it. And yeah, yeah, there, there's, there could be fake marriages and other bullshit. Like, just conceptually, you own property, you're married, likely have children, and you either own property or own a business. And it just shows that you have the ability to be responsible for something other than yourself. Therefore, you can make decisions that are not just about you. And that takes care of it. I like it. I mean, especially if you were to say, specify real property, right? Because that ties you to a specific location. You're bought into a specific location and, uh, and you have a lot of aligned incentives with that location. I mean, that's how it used to be, right? Is, is landowning people voted, right? <laughs> it wasn't everybody voted. Um, but uh, it, I think, uh, as Dave, <laughs> you have a good point about the boomers, is that a lot of the worst boomers will, uh, will help us out and that they will consistently make decisions that, that take them out of the running. The funny thing that I've seen now in the last maybe few months is how it's becoming common to just openly express this, this sentiment, this like, we can't wait till the boomers are gone idea. Um, in the same way that, you know, five years ago, you couldn't talk about the 19th Amendment. Now you can talk about uh, boomers as how ridiculous they are and how much of a drain on society they are. Not every single one of them. But when we talk about the stereotypical boomer, right, rating Social Security, uh, severely indebting the country, runaway inflation, uh, offshoring all manufacturing and know-how, um, buying into the university system and selling their kids to the machine, all that stuff. Um, and you know, blind alignment to the government. And anyway, so uh, I think uh, I had some friends the other day say, I didn't, I didn't expect them to say this, um, but they were, they're saying, we're not actively hoping and praying for our parents to pass, but things will be much better when they're no longer alive. <laughs> Their parents aren't in bad health or suffering in any obvious way. They just make the world a worse place. Yeah. And you know, my family, she, I wish I could be that optimistic, but my family has a long history of um, evil has a way of surviving. That's what we say in my family. And it's because the most evil members of our family are the ones who will get diagnosed with cancer. And it's like cancer that should kill you within five years and eight years later, they're still terrorizing you. And they, you know, at no point in their entire life have they ever been um, uh, healthy, eat well, take medicines, whatever. And yet evil has a way of surviving. So my Boomer parents are not going to self-remove. A lot of boomers are going to self-remove through drugs and alcohol. Mine won't. I'm going to, I know I'm going to have to be on the lookout in the next five years of them moving on from alcohol and weed, whether it's opioids or cocaine or heroin or something. I just, I can see the path now because evil, in my family, evil has a way of survival. And that's, um, I, I'm hoping that that's unique to my family because if it's not, we're going to have to, I'm going to be wrong about boomers self-removing in the next decade and they're going to be here for a long time just getting involved. Plus, one of the key traits of boomerism is is just unrestrained spending on themselves, um, cannibalizing all of the infrastructure, you know, the capital, the societal capital, the physical capital, the financial capital that we have in our in our civilization, cannibalizing all of that and spending it on themselves. Right? 
Uh, and so as they get older and they come to those last five or 10 years of life where 90% of your medical expenses are, just imagine the drain on the system. I mean, it's bad enough. End of life care just costs a fortune. In fact, like I think for as much as we complain about how much it costs for doctor's visits, births, surgeries, et cetera, end of life care is still 80 or 90% of, of all medical expenses. Like it is a ridiculous amount. Now add to that end of life care for a 70 year old drug addict. Like no longer, and not just the 70 year old smoker and drinker, like the greatest generation had decency to, to be. Now you're, you're, the amount of boomers I'm seeing who are, who are upgrading from alcohol and weed to uh, uh, cocaine and marijuana is mind blow. Or cocaine, marijuana, cocaine and heroin is mind blowing. I didn't. I never thought I'd see a 70 year old man doing lines of coke, and yet, you know, we uh, good for my family. They just tra- chased away one of their in group because they're you know I told you my family every week weekend is doing you know booze and pot. They chased somebody out of their group because he started doing coke. Guy's 70 fucking years old doing coke, and they ch- they had to chase him out for that. Good for you, though I'm afraid that you're five years behind them. Uh, do you remember how funny it was the first time you saw your parents or something, your parents' generation doing drugs, and you're like, whoa. Like, especially as a teenager, you're like, uh, wait a second. I thought you told us not to do that. So I, I didn't get to do that. So I didn't, um, I didn't use any narcotics in, in high school as a kid. Um, I did drink, and uh, it was mostly because... Before I, before I was a teenager, I got to see my mother arrested for having um, drunken meltdowns. And um, my dad was really good about hiding his alcohol until I was an adult. But uh, my stepmother, routinely, she would be on the couch, zonked out from opioids. She was hooked on opioids in the 90s, well before it was popular to be hoods. So I never got to actually see the, like, oh, you told me not to do this, now you're doing it. Like, nah, I got to grow up with most of it. Like, I got to see what alcohol did. And, uh, you know, I, I actually ditched alcohol very very early compared to many people but a lot later than i should have given what i grew up with but yeah i definitely got to see where pills take you and other stuff um i never got to see that yeah i specifically remember a camping trip where we happened to run into a group of of our parents just pure happenstance and uh and they were like cleaning their bongs and stuff (laughs) uh anyway that just stuck with me but yeah, it is the most bizarre thing that um, uh, we're having to tell our parents now, hey, I think you guys are drinking a little too much. Um, do you really, have you noticed that like your brain doesn't work anymore? Have you noticed um, how how hard it is for you to understand anything that's going around on around you? How hard it is for you to keep track of what's in your house? Uh, it's, they're, they're definitely on a downhill slide and there's no stopping them. Yeah, and it's just, you just hope they don't kill anybody in the process, you know? Um, you hope they don't pull a Paul Pelosi and get, get pulled over while driving drunk or, you know, have some weird midnight assault with a hammer while, I don't know if it was a break-in or doing drugs, whatever the case was. I, I know the story's changed at times, but anyway, yeah, you just hope they don't hurt anybody in, in the in the process. So, um, anyways, we're coming up on time and my ability to talk i actually had a whole list of things to get into today and as always we just kind of went off on our tangents as we started talking but um i want to end this episode talking about cartoons um so you're you're close to my age when you were a kid did you watch the i think it was the 1980s maybe early 90s version i think it was 1980s version of ducktales with scrooge mcduck and the, the three little his nephews huey dewey and louie you remember them yeah of course yep so there's been a couple of remakes since then. I've never watched them. Um, I 
may wind up watching them soon here if everything goes well with our, our IVF adventure. But uh, pending that, the reason I bring it up is with all the talk of money printing and inflation, 80s cartoons definitely had some lessons in there that were like 80s cartoons were, were the height of Cards Knocked Out because I remember things 30, 35 years later, the lessons of some of these shit. The reason I bring up DuckTales is because there's an episode in there that explains money inflation and money printing I mean, so much better than any YouTube or TikTok video you've ever seen, more than any political argument. It was just, the setup of the episode is, you know, Scrooge, being the, the billionaire that he is, has a, like, an emotional breakdown because of money. He's having a, a hard time being around so much money and dealing with it all. So they take him on vacation uh, to, this, uh, to this mountain village where they don't use money. They have no, there's no form of currency want whatsoever. So they take him up there so he can just kind of get away from money and relax. And they bring the boys, of course, because they're part of the show. And they bring the the accountant. I, I, I do not remember his name. He's definitely not meant in any way to resemble a Jewish duck. That never happened in there. That was never a thing. So definitely don't believe Twitter when they call him that. Um, he goes there and realizes there's no use for him. As a, so he has to explain the concept to the people up there. And he does so by giving somebody a bottle cap in exchange for... Something he basically buys something off of this guy. And the guy's like, "Wow, I got a bottle cap. I did this thing," and all the other villagers are like, "Hey, he's got a bottle cap, and we don't have a bottle cap. That's bad." So they call back to the city and they they ship in some bottle caps and they give every villager one bottle cap, so everybody's equal, except one villager puts out a disguise and gets a second bottle cap. So he's like, "Ha ha, everybody, look, I got two. I'm better than you, right?" He's basically saying, "I'm richer than all of you." So they have to get more bottle caps so that everybody can have two. And then they keep doing this because people start trading them. And all of a sudden, if you want to buy a sandwich, it costs 10,000 bottle caps. And if you want to, you know, pay, you know, they, they turn bottle caps into currency almost overnight, which completely destroyed what, what Scrooge was trying to get away from, right? Ruined his, his no money vacation. But there's such a demand for bottle caps that they just keep bringing them in, which is essentially money printing. So it goes from... You know, it costs of one bottle cap to buy a, buy a sandwich to 10000 to 20000 It's just on and on and on. And it's just getting worse because they can't ship in enough bottle caps. And, like, this is just, they just explain money printing and inflation. And they do it in 25 minutes in a cartoon. And they do it more effectively than anybody has since then. Like, so this is definitely something you're going to have to have Remy Jr. watch. And you're going to laugh your ass off when you... It's just such a perfect explanation of why MMT doesn't work, your modern monetary theory, why this print our way out doesn't work, and the problems that come with money printing. Do you know any IT men who are into money printing or MMT? No. No, I don't. I've never seen any male advocate for it that I thought in the slightest had a parallel. I mean, that's a relevant data point. You know, I think when we start having guests on the show, we're gonna have the first question we're going to have to ask if they're a man is, what's your test on? <laughs> that's a good point i wonder if that's like you know as we're walking around in the in the metaverse in the future and you've got your little like profile profile that comes up when somebody interacts with you um one of the key characteristics or traits that's going to come up is your is your testosterone we well, you know we were talking um you and i were, were talking about this offline a while ago but why we even use resumes anymore why not just put a guy like a, a working interview basically see what he can do i think from now on it's still illegal to give a uh IQ test, but you come up with like a brain teaser test that's the same thing, circumnavigate the law, and you just need to give somebody an IQ test 
and then forget doing a drug test. Just do a testosterone test. Like, bring me your, your testosterone and an IQ test, and I'll put you to work. Um, but the other part is, you know, physical appearance, physiognomy. I mean, it, it reveals a lot about a person's character and decisions and values, right? Work ethic. Um, it's it's hard to have a it's hard to have somebody who's got just incredibly in shape, fit, um, physical profile that's not motivated, right? That's a really hard thing to do. <laughs> well, um, so there's been, been this joke on um, Tim Pool's show about the the hippie, the long haired hippie they have on the show. Ian he starts working out. All of a sudden now he's praying to Jesus and he's getting these more conservative views. And it's like, the guy's healthy for the first time in his life. Like he's healthy. He's physically healthy. Of course he's like, um, there's been some, some slander articles talking about white supremacy and and weightlifting. And it's like, well, what they mean by that is when you start lifting weights, you get physically healthy. You start having conservative views. You lift weights, your testosterone goes up. Your testosterone goes up. You stop acting like a woman. Uh, So, Nowadays, racist, white supremacist, bigot, those, those are just words that mean disagree with me and uh, conservative, right? The racist and conservative are, are essentially the same word now because racist has no meaning. The left just uses it to, to end an argument so they don't have to explain themselves. But yeah, it, it's, a, it's a straight line, conservatism and um, lifting weights. So when you see somebody who's buff and, and physically fit and has you know, an actual chest or six-pack abs, they're almost never going to have liberal views. There's a handful of exceptions to some diehard Marxists on that, but for the most part, you know, just like if you look at somebody who's got blue hair, you can be like, yeah, I can ignore everything they say. You can just right out the gate. You don't like stereotyping works in these in these regards. It really does. Blue hair and uh, muscle body, you can just t- determine between those two things if you need to take that person. Yeah, totally agree. All right. Well, with that, I think we'll wrap this episode up. Unless you have any more comments you want to add to it nope i uh i think i kind of beat a dead horse dead horse on this one yeah um if i have any any follow-up thoughts i might write about it later uh definitely going to try to get try to get more written articles out here in the coming months with winter coming up i'm forced indoors so hopefully that means more writing without too many rules but with that guys um thanks for tuning in as always remember um Right now, you can only get us on Substack. Hopefully, that changes soon. Um, thinking about making a new Twitter account, maybe some other social medias. But at the moment, just you can get us on uh, at Wi-Fi Pioneers uh, Substack. You can share this episode, leave comments, tell us what you think, agree, disagree, whatever. And with that, have a good weekend. And remember, nobody's coming to save you. It's up to you to save yourselves.